But we have been keeping tabs on the border, and Global News has been talking to people as they line up to cross into the United States. We just bought a place in Mexico before the COVID shutdown, and so it's been that long since we've been there. A little bit anxious. Don't know what's going to happen up here, how long it's going to be, but seems to be going pretty smoothly. Fully vaccinated, got all the precautionary stuff going, so... And we're not going to spend a lot of time in the States. All right. Just one of the many people waiting at the border to cross over into the States. In that case, that was somebody going to their place. They were planning to spend six months on the Baja Peninsula. Let's check in with Gary Holowicek, president of West Coast Duty Free. Gary, thanks so much for coming back on the show. Hey, not a problem, Jill. Good to be back. Thank you. Well, how are things going for you today? Well, you know what? It's a sigh of relief seeing a light at the end of the tunnel finally. Today was not as as good as what we had thought. Uh, There was a bit of a bit of traffic rolling through last night and the traffic very early this morning was pretty heavy but it seemed like everybody was going to the border not knowing what was going to happen. And uh, the store itself was was actually quite quiet this morning, uh, with the with people refusing to pull out of the off the highway. And I think it was really just kind of fear of customs, like oh, I wonder what questions they're going to ask. Oh, I wonder if they let me go. I wonder if they'll, you know, if I've got everything right. And from what we saw of customs, well, I can honestly say I've never seen vehicles roll across the border so fast it was like they must have asked them one question and like are you double vaccinated okay away you go because the bit of a lineup we had was probably 15 20 minutes and it never got longer than that Hmm, interesting. And just to clarify for people, if people aren't familiar with your particular store, you're at the, the Pacific or the truck crossing, correct? Yes, we're at the 176th Street truck crossing, one mile east of the freeway, uh, straight south of Cloverdale. It's interesting you say that because we were talk- talking with Len Sanders, uh, immigration lawyer, last week. We were talking to him on Friday, and he said the same thing, that he had been talking to border guards. And again, it was anecdotal, but many were telling him, we're not the vaccine police. We're just going to ask, are you vaccinated? Yes or no, you are? Okay, come on in if you've got, if you're allowed uh, entry into the country. So it's interesting that that's what you're seeing, because it sounds like that that's what's happening, in that there are not huge lineups or delays with people showing proof of vaccination or anything like that yeah i was i was down at the store at five this morning and the lineup was under normal terms would have been a half hour lineup but it probably went through in less than 15 minutes it was just like i say i've been a long long time since i've seen traffic push through the border so so quickly um, and, and the customers we've had were all happy. They was like, oh, geez, no lineup, but away we go. So they were in and out in a flash. And, uh, you know, we're, we're kind of hoping that we stay steady for the next few weeks, uh, you know, get us into U.S. Thanksgiving and then, and then perhaps some kind of a Christmas rush. And if Ottawa will drop the uh, necessity of the testing, then we're off to the races.
Well, and I'm glad you mentioned that because certainly a lot of people, uh, some politicians, doctors, uh, people have come out saying, come on, this isn't necessary, especially if someone's going down for just a short trip. How big of a difference do you think it would make for you if that PCR test requirement was dropped? Oh, it would, it would make a world of difference. Right now, what we're seeing are really people that are going down for extended stays. Uh, there's not any short-term travelers going down at all. And uh, I don't expect we'll see any of those until the testing requirements are gone. So, uh, you know, the problem with today's travelers is once they're gone, they're gone. We're not going to see them next week or the week after. They're, they're gone for weeks or months. Uh, and how are things going for you? Like you said, uh, with, with the time change, uh, I know the border actually opened here uh, last night. People uh, were able to start crossing over. Uh, when you prepare for uh, for people to come back when they do, I, I, I would imagine now that, that people are hearing about this and knowing that it's pretty smooth at the border crossing. Have you been able to restock your shelves and get things and that we've been talking about supply chain issues as well? Is there any issue for you there? You know, um, we're, we got a few uh, spots, empty spots on the shelves, but not much. You know, I mean, our, our big, the big chunk of our business is liquor, tobacco, and fragrance cosmetics. And all of those categories are filled to the rafters. And perhaps in four, five, six months, we'll experience uh, some supply chain problems on those. Uh, but at this point, we're not. Uh, the only issue we're having right now, to a certain extent, is confectionery, our, our chocolates and candies and stuff, because most of those come out of Europe. And, of course, you know, it takes, the lead times are big. And without knowing when the border was going to be opening for sure, uh, we've been holding off. So, they'll, you know, it'll take a little while to get that category up to par. But uh, it's a, that's a relatively small part of our business. Right. And so not like you, you, your whole Christmas season depends on confectionery. No, no, no. That, if you came into the store today, you'd be like, oh, wow, look at this. The shelves are full and uh, there are very, very few products missing other than, other than the chocolates. All right. Well, that is is good to hear. Nice to chat with you on a much more positive note for a change. Uh, yeah, well, walking around with a smile is sure different. <laughs> it's, uh, yeah. You know, it's like, oh, finally, a light at the end of the tunnel. So, like I say, I'm, I'm sure that Ottawa over the next week or two will do something with the testing. I Just the, uh, just the amount of pressure that's being thrown at them they've got to start listening and uh, I think that will disappear and, you know, we'll be on our way to the, uh, towards the new normal, whatever that ends up being. All right. Well, Gary, thanks so much for making time for us once again, and we'll talk to you again soon, I'm sure. Okay, Joe. Thank you. And uh, just so you listeners know, we are open 24 hours a day. 
Thanks for being with us. So we've been talking about the land border now open for non-essential travel. Fully vaccinated Canadians being allowed to cross. Not nearly as busy at the border crossing as some were anticipating. We were just talking with Jordan Armstrong as well. He is reporting in Bellingham and Blaine today. He's been checking out mailbox depots, grocery stores, checking for Janet Brown the price of milk at the Trader Joe's. I only repeat that because that may become an important piece of knowledge when we play the news quiz later on in this program because we've got some more great tickets to give away. Let's, let's though right now check in with Brian Calder, who is the president of the Point Roberts Chamber of Commerce. Brian, good afternoon to you. Good afternoon to you too. Uh, how are things going in Point Roberts today? Slow. Okay. Uh, there was a Reuters uh, um, reporter stationed at the border here on the Canadian side to interview people coming down, and she was there between 8 and 9, and three Canadian cars came through. Three. And did you anticipate it would be busier, or, or think that because of the testing that's still in place, was that pretty much what you thought was going to happen? Well, I thought there'd be more than that. I figured, but not much more than a dozen. Um, and it, it is the PCR test requirement, the ArriveCan app, and then as you go back, even though you've been tested again here, um, you'll be handed another one to do it at home when you get home back to your house in, in Greater Vancouver. I mean, it's just bizarre and unnecessary. It's actually stupid. <laughs> uh, for the three Canadian vehicles then that crossed the border, crossed into Point Roberts that hour, uh, I would imagine those might be people that have property there or probably are going to be staying longer than a day or a couple of days. Spoke to all three of them today, met with them, um, and uh, two of them got tested prior to coming, and they're going back through within the 72 hours um, with that valid test they got. I think it was in Life Labs in Richmond, both of them. Um, and But they still have to do the ArriveCan app, and they're still subject to be handed a test kit to go home with and, and do it all over again, even notwithstanding they just had one within the last 72 hours. Um, it's just so onerous. I mean, I'm getting from going to Bellingham, not stopping in transit right through, blah, 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 and I'm getting emails, five-page emails in French and English from them saying, you are now in day eight of your lockdown. Have you seen any people, blah, blah, blah. Have you had it? I, I'm not in lockdown. I'm, I'm not subject to the lockdown test because I'm not in Canada. I'm in Point Roberts, USA. And then you get robocalls. I get four robocalls a day. And, and you can't get at anyone to tell them, listen, I, got, I hit the border, went through, and I'm not alone. There's hundreds of us. And I went through in 27 minutes from Point Roberts to Blaine. It never stopped, never got out. And blah, blah, blah. Oh, Oh, well, we, we can't change that. I said, all you have to do is put in 98281, our zip code, and say these people are in transit. They're not going to Canada. Right. I mean, it's bizarre. I mean, the hundreds of millions that must be being spent on something so futile, and then you find that the people they've tested, they have a success rate of 0.02. I mean, that's infinitesimal. I mean, it's just, I mean, it's a make-work program at our expense, 
and we're still locked down in, in to all intents and purposes. And something you mentioned there as well is what I think is a real head scratcher for people. The the two that came but got their test done in Richmond in B.C. on this side of the border are coming to Point Roberts. And you could do that at anywhere on the border to going to Blaine or Bellingham as well, as long as you're back within the 72 hours using the same test that you took in Canada. Makes zero sense to anybody because how does that keep anyone safe when you're talking about using a test you took before you you even left. Yeah, exactly. I mean, it and it, it's on and on. I mean, there's just no common sense whatsoever. And I mean, as you know, we're 88% vaccinated. We're no threat to anybody. And when to to that, uh, I, I applaud our Chief Carlton, our, uh, who's made all that happen since last February. And we're we're still following the protocols voluntarily. And yet they deprive people from coming here. I mean, it, it's just bizarre. Uh, we spoke with the president of West Coast Duty Free at the Pacific Cro- uh, Truck Crossing. Uh, he was much more optimistic and saying that he had stocked the shelves. Yes, it was much slower today, perhaps, than people were anticipating. But he said he feels like he can see a light at the end of the tunnel, that there will be, because of the outcry about the testing, that there will be changes. And he's looking at it really in a positive way. Do you feel like at least we, we could be on that path that the test will be eliminated and we will get back to that place? Well, we're hoping along with him, and I applaud him for his positive attitude, uh, that the light at the end of the tunnel isn't a freight train wreck coming at us again after our 19 months of it, every month being told that things are going to be okay uh, every month, 19 months. So show me the material in writing and, and, and the actual opening of the border and then I'll believe it. But To his credit, I mean, business people, you don't go into business unless you're an optimist. If you're not an optimist and a positive believer, don't ever go into business. And so the nature of the beast, uh, like myself and others in business, and Ali, uh, our international marketplace owner, says, I don't want handouts. I don't want public money to be given to me. I want my customers back. I want to do business. That's what we're in business for. And we've got safe pilot projects that even the governor and the senator have agreed with here in Washington state falls on deaf ears when it gets to Joe Biden and Homeland Security. They just don't pay any attention to us. None. And how are the businesses doing? You mentioned Ali, who runs the marketplace, the grocery store. I know in the past you've talked as well about the mailboxes business. How are they doing right now? Well, absolutely devastated. We thought we hit bottom three months ago found out a new bottom, and it's much lower. Um, I I was up there at uh, 11 o'clock today. There were five cars in the parking lot. Normally, there'd be 50 uh, cars in the parking lot. That's the dynamic. Empty. Nothing happening. No gas pumps. No people at the pumps. No people at the parcel posts. I mean, it's absolutely devastating, and no one comes down to look from anyone in authority would get it immediately. I mean, when Governor Inslee came here two months ago, uh, has first governor had been here in 35 years. That shows how much attention they paid to Point Roberts. But to his credit, he came, and as soon as he saw it, like within half a day, he got home. The next day, he wrote Biden and said, "Open Point Roberts now." That was two months ago. I don't know if he ever got a response.
Are you concerned at all? We are talking to people who have crossed the border uh, today. Now that the the requirement is that non-essential people can travel there if they're vaccinated. Uh, and we talked to Len, the immigration lawyer, you know, Len, I know on yeah. Friday. And, and yeah. he said anecdotally talking to border guards, they had said, you know, we're not the vaccine police. We'll ask people if they're vaccinated, but we're not going to check. And we checked in with a reporter today who said, yeah, they didn't ask us for anything. They just said, are you vaccinated? Yes. OK, come on in. Are you concerned that that could lead, though, if the test is lifted and more and more people are coming to Point Roberts, are you concerned that people who aren't vaccinated are going to hear about this and that they're going to start coming to Point Roberts? Well, we're not in favor of letting them through. I mean, if you're not vaccinated, don't come. We're, we're no problem with that. In right. Fact, but, if, we were, but if border we were cards aren't checking the community, right. we were surprised when they allowed us to go into Delta municipality and even people unvaccinated. We're not in favor of that. We're the safest place in North America. Right. And that, that's, that's my point, though. Are you concerned if border guards aren't checking and people who aren't vaccinated know this, then that could potentially lead to non-vaccinated people coming into Point Roberts? I'd like to talk to the fellow who said they ain't testing because they're testing here. They're not letting us get away with anything. Not that we're trying to get away with anything, but they're diligent here mm. on both sides, American and Canadian. They're very, very diligent, and we applaud that, and we support that. But we don't support the Health Canada one-size-fits-all blinders on, uh, and I don't think they even support it. They're the, they're the ones that are – Health Canada doesn't have to be on the front line and invoke this stuff, even the silly stuff. The, the border guards do, and they're fed up with it. All right. Well, Brian, hopefully uh, some uh, of Gary uh, Holowicek's optimism will come uh, true and uh, we'll have something else to talk about, uh, some more positive news. Uh, But on that note, uh, thanks so much for uh, joining the show again, and we will talk to you again soon. Thank you, Jill. Always a pleasure. Well, as you may or may not know, there was a lot of destruction and it happened Friday night, specifically in the UBC area of Vancouver. It definitely felt like a movie. Lillian Lee's father, Shae Song, was at the driving range and filmed this video. Hail pelted down, branches and debris whipped through at dangerous speeds while he watched the potentially lethal funnel cloud spiral towards him. Yeah, like branches were like flying everywhere and I guess they're just scared of getting hit. Many ducked for cover, fearing for their lives. There's already some like logs like this big like flying around so I was pretty terrified, right? I, I would, like everybody was pretty shocked. It only lasted a couple of minutes but the chaos and cleanup that followed the next day seemed endless. All right, that was Global BC reporter Camille Karamali and talking to people who witnessed and were in the middle of that. Let's join now Environment Canada meteorologist Armel Castellan, who is on the line with us. Armel, thank you so much for being with us. My pleasure. Thank you so much. Uh, I understand we can now say that what we saw or what people witnessed and that destruction was, in fact, caused by a tornado. That's right. I mean, we already knew that what was offshore, yes, or not yesterday, but Saturday afternoon was, in fact, uh, a supercellular tornadic water spout. And that's uh, probably a first for BC South Coast, at least recorded. And then 
you know, right away after that event, uh, it traveled northeast. Uh, we were able to do a storm damage survey yesterday, and we are going to continue that collaboration with the National Tornado Project out of Ontario and uh, get as much information as we can to, to update that confirmation. But certainly what was seen yesterday uh, it qualifies as EF0, so enhanced Fujita scale zero, meaning uh, 90 to 110 kilometer an hour winds uh, in order to see all of those uh, incredible pieces of footage that you were just describing. Hmm. And sorry, what did you, what was the official title of it again? So preliminary rating is EF0 and EF stands for enhanced Fujita. And that's a scale that was developed in order to understand the damage that winds can be made, that, that winds can make. So it's not just for tornadoes, but uh, derechos, uh, straight line winds, those kinds of, you know, usually reserved for uh, the prairies in Ontario, Quebec. But uh, every once in a while, uh, we get them too. All right. But you called it something that was it supersonic water spout? Oh, a supercellular, supercellular. Uh, a tornadic water spout. So, yeah, uh, a water spout we get uh, in the fall and in the spring uh, relatively frequently, but they are kind of babies compared to what this was. And they're ropey and they're generally over the water and don't make landfall. Um, this one was different in its structure. There was uh, a tornadic element. There was that spin in the atmosphere that was also necessary, as well as the very cold temperatures overlying the what is relatively actually quite warm water of Georgia Strait. So all of those conditions uh, made 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 the unprecedented time of year uh, for a supercellular version of those water spouts. So it's essentially a tornado on the water. And now we're saying that it has also made landfall at UBC yesterday uh, around 5, 10 p.m. And that was when uh, it, you know, it obviously wasn't as strong as the big wedge that was seen, you know, behind the WestJet uh, photo from YVR, but it, uh, it would have kept its structure relatively intact in order to have those type of damage uh, in the endowment lands and Pacific Spirit Park. Uh, and, and hence why we also had a tornado watch issued immediately uh, for West Vancouver and Howe Sound. And you mentioned too that these are the kind of weather events or these types, uh, the strong winds are, are things that we would normally or more often see in other provinces and other places. Has this happened or do you know if this has happened here before? So, yeah, Vancouver has seen some EF0 and EF1 tornadoes in the past. So it's not unprecedented uh, in general, uh, but they have exclusively been between March and July or maybe early August. So they have never happened at this time of year. Uh, but in the 50s and the 60s, I believe we have two examples in both of those decades, uh, 70s, 80s, 90s as well, one each. Uh, and then nothing since the 90s. So it has been a long while uh, and certainly uh, never before in November. Hmm. So what does that tell us or, or is that part of trying to figure out why this happened now or why are we seeing this in November if it's never happened in November before? Well, it's a great question. I mean, there's going to be the, the climate attribution type of science and that's a very academic process that's going to take months and may uh, no, not bring anything super conclusive to something that is so small in scale. It's different when we're talking about the heat dome from June. That one almost immediately can be attributed to uh, the, our changed climate. Uh, and, and, and so that's, there's some differences in the type of events. Generally speaking, uh, 
extremes of any nature, whether it's the drought pattern, you know, the, the smoky pattern, the extra wet, the extra dry, the, the extra cold even, and the extra warm, those are things that are, we are expecting with climate change. You know, the frequency to be increased, the, long, the, the length of each event, and definitely the amplitude of each of these events as well. So this, this definitely stays in that kind of storyline as we go forward in time. Right, because we've been seeing people posting and, and talking about the fact that here we were just a few months ago, we had the heat dome that you just mentioned a few days ago. People were posting photos of the double rainbow because it was so exciting to see sunshine and see the rainbow. Yesterday, <laughs> there was, it felt like monsoon type rain. And then one second it was pouring rain. The next second where I was, it was bright and sunny. There was another rainbow. We've had this tornado now. It does seem like the weather is a bit wilder than normal. I cannot disagree with you. So yes, 2021 has been a little bit interesting, to la- for lack of a better word, but it has definitely been a career uh, year for meteorologists, I think almost around the planet, but we are not excluded here on the South Coast and in BC in general. Uh, you know, even just this last month, what we saw in the Arctic with the warmest October on record for so many locations uh, has delayed the, the, the sea ice uh, formation. You know, these are things that are happening in Canada today. Uh, is there any way we can take from that then when we talk as well uh, again about the fact that this type of weather event, what we saw on the weekend uh, at UBC, this this tornado, we've not seen this before in November. Do we know if this means we're going to see events like this more often? Well, this type of event, it, you know, it's going to be hard to say uh, next November or, you know, anytime throughout winter, we're going to see a tornado hit, you know, a, a major city. That That's going to be very difficult. But, you know, the, the general statement about frequency, uh, amplitude and, and longevity of each event going forward in time and, and expecting the unexpected, I think really uh, does resonate. And, and we have to be yeah, vigilant. We have to be ready. We have to be prepared. Uh, it's no longer about 72 hours of preparedness anymore for food, non-perishable uh, things and water and, and heat uh, for, for power outages. It's, it could be beyond that. And in fact, in 2018, with a solstice eve storm uh, that ravaged so much of the South Coast, uh, particularly the Gulf Islands, people were without power for over two weeks. So, it, you know, we have to be ready for uh, more of what we have seen lately and certainly more than what we used to see decades and decades ago. And as a meteorologist, when you see what happened with this tornado, what happened on the weekend, obviously it can be very destructive and we would never want to see uh, hurt, anybody hurt. I mean, I guess there's the potential where there could be really bad damage. But as a meteorologist, it must also be really interesting for you or, or even exciting to, to have something like this hit so close to home. Yeah, I mean, we were pinching ourselves. I mean, I wasn't officially on yesterday, but we are on Saturday afternoon. Uh, but, it, but it was obviously the, the nerdy part of, uh, of any meteorologist was, was absolutely gobsmacked. And, you know, it was only a couple of years ago that we saw also the first tornado of the season in Victoria, BC, uh, in my, almost my neighborhood. Uh, and, you know, and, and these are things that are continuing to happen and definitely uh, with huge amounts of interest, but first and foremost, with the safety of, uh, of people in mind. 
Is it, does it give more warning when it happens? Like you said, you mentioned as well that picture, if people have seen it, it's, it's quite an amazing photo taken from the airport where you see that water spout off in the, off in the distance. Mm-hmm. When it's this type of weather event, is there more notice or warning, say, than other major weather events? It really depends on the event. You know, tornadoes uh, are so quick to form and often so quick to, to end and, and they don't necessarily last. You know, it, it, today is a great example. We have wind warnings out since, you know, yesterday, uh, special weather statements out for an enormous storm. It's actually the third uh, weather bomb that we've seen in, in just a few weeks, uh, you know, two back to back just a couple of weeks ago. And we're, we're able to see those with more certainty uh, further ahead. Of course, when it comes to a, a tornado, we have to most often react uh, unless there's very clear indications. It's the peak of summer in the prairies, uh, usually in Saskatchewan, where uh, a big tornado uh, outbreak is, is, is on tap. Uh, we can have tornado watches well ahead, but then the warning itself usually comes in right as the tornado is forming. So uh, I'm not at all surprised that you know, this event uh, happened, that we were alerted to it. Uh, we could see it on radar. Uh, and then right, you know, instantly that was happening, we were putting out the, the tornado watch there for West Vancouver House Sound, just in case it was able to reform, uh, get stronger or, or, or move in, in any of those kind of directions to the north of where it had been coming from. All right. Uh, definitely uh, a weekend many, many people will not forget soon. Armel, thanks so much for joining us and talking more about what exactly took place. Appreciate your time. Oh, thank you so much. Be safe out there.